Don't you love Jesus? I'm glad y'all said amen. It beats the alternative. Well, this morning, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 15. Travis already read this passage, and really, our prayer should be, Lord, come meet with us again. I believe he's already done that this morning. I believe, I believe, I believe that the Holy Spirit's power and presence is among us. And here's what I want to encourage. If you're here this morning, I'm going to, I, the topic, uh, title of my message really is Great Faith. Last week, um, we began talking uh, about faith and, and, and really uh, we looked at uh, Hebrews chapter 11. You remember we looked at the very first two verses and, and uh, we learned from Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things unseen, but verse 2 was the key in that passage. And if you'll show that, verse 2, guys, in verse 2 it says, For by it, for by it the elders obtained a good report. And here's the thing, as we talked last week, they obtained a good report not because they were great, not because they were good in and of themselves. They obtained a good report because these were men and women. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, you see that these men and women were people of faith. They walked by faith, not by sight. They understood that without God providing, providing that manna, as we talked about, that bread from heaven, if it wasn't for God providing their water, their sustenance, they understood that they were nothing and that they could do nothing. And so the Bible simply says that by it, the elders obtained a good report. Oh, they had faith in God. And here was, the, here was the really cool thing. Remember we were talking about last week, faith actually sees what cannot be seen. They had faith in God, but he, they, they took the opportunities. Like That's a reminder to me today and every day that we have to take the opportunities to, to develop this little thing called faith. You see, these elders of these old, the Old Testament saints, if you please, they understood what Hebrews eleven six 6 says, that without faith, they understood that without faith, it was impossible to please God. And so today I want to talk to you about great faith. And so let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the songs that we have heard, the songs that we have sung. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we had to study your word through our Bible study hour. And God, those that have come and assembled together for this worship service, God, we thank you that we've had the opportunity to worship you by giving back to you a portion of ourselves, a portion of that which you've blessed us with. God, now we ask you to meet with us again. We ask you to open up our hearts, to open up our eyes that we might see what you have for us today. God, I pray that if there's somebody in this room that has never exercised even the smallest measure of faith, that God, today would be that day that they trust Christ as their Savior. God, I pray that you would encourage the brokenhearted today. God, I pray that you would, you would wrap your loving arms of comfort around Jacob and his dear family. God, I pray that you would just, just embolden him to understand what all this means and that they would buy up the opportunities to draw closer to you. And God, that this might be a pivotal time in his family's life, that they might come together in a way like never before, that they might see your hand of goodness and mercy in the midst 
of their discouragement and suffering. God, I love you. I thank you for the message that you've laid on my heart. God, I pray that you'll give me the words to clearly communicate it. God, so that it'll be understood, but so that it will not be misunderstood as well. God, I love you, and I pray this in the precious name of my Savior, and for his sake, amen and amen. Today, as I said, I want to talk to you about great faith. And really, I've said this before down through the ages. Listen, probably one of the most basic biblical motives for living. Now think about that for the second. The most basic biblical motive for living has got to be faith. It's got to be faith because it's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And listen, what I know about these Old Testament saints that we were talking about last week and today, we're going to talk about this woman in the New Testament, this woman of Canaan. And one of the things I understand about both situations, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, whether it be you or I today, is that faith is essential. It is a key to our success in life. I've always said, I don't know how people handle discouragement and difficulty and all the problems that we seem to face as a people today without faith, without faith in a God, without understanding that there's somebody bigger than me. I don't understand how we do it. And so today I want to talk, I want to continue this topic of faith, but I want us to begin by really asking ourselves a question. So I'm kind of putting the, the horse out there before the cart. I want you to ask this question. What about me? Do I have faith? Do I have faith? Do I have a faith of a mustard seed? Do I have faith that could remove mountains in my life? Do I have that kind of faith? Or, God, do I lack faith? Do I have a spirit of unbelief that works and resides inside of my heart? And when I see a difficult situation, God, is that me? Is, is it me because of my health situation? Is it me because my back hurts? Is it me because I'm going through some type of a treatment now and, God, I just lack faith? Is that where we are? Or maybe are you like the disciples? You might say, maybe I have a little bit of faith. I exercise it every once in a while and don't, don't try and rock my boat today, Pastor, because I ain't getting out of the boat. And I'm only going to exercise a little bit. Maybe that's you. But I want to challenge you. Some people, I've heard pastors before say, don't ever preach on great faith because we never have it. Wow. I learned a long time ago from a professor at Bible college that if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. Why in the world wouldn't I want to try to have great faith? And we have a great example here. Listen, when we stop to consider the so-called cast of characters found out through, throughout Scripture, we're able to truly appreciate this incredible detail surrounding this one woman's faith. Oh, from the Bible we can clearly see the Pharisees and scribes, a.k.a. the religious crowd. By the way, the Pharisees and the scribes, those were the same jokers, right? The priest and the scribe and the Levite and same kind of mentality that walked by the man in the in the ditch right they were too busy doing what they had to do in their religiosity but scribes and pharisees listen they exhibited no faith in fact they were against jesus at every turn they fought him every step of the way in fact they had seen his majesty they had exhibited his power and yet they lacked faith 
When I think about the scribes and Pharisees, they resisted his teaching. They confronted him concerning the law and their traditions. They witnessed his miracles. But guess what? When they witnessed his miracles, they ascribed his power to Satan. They said, the only reason you're able to do that is because of the devil working in you. They exhibited no faith. Oh yes, this group of people not only wanted to silence him, they wanted to destroy him. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, in verse number 14, the Bible says the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. In the Greek, that word destroy means that they're ready to kill him. They just didn't want to get rid of Jesus. They wanted to kill him once and for all. They exhibited no faith. But then if you think about his own disciples... These are his closest companions, really. They actually lacked faith. These are the guys that traveled with him. They lived with him. They continually heard his teaching over and over. Even when they didn't understand it, they were in the presence of the Lord. They had witnessed his miracles, but sometimes they doubted his power. I was thinking about this the other day. You remember the one time they're they're out in... um, In Matthew chapter 8, they're out in the midst of the sea and Jesus is asleep in the boat. You remember the story? He's asleep in the boat and and, uh, the winds and the waves, they start getting a little tumultuous. The, the, The Bible says in King James Version, it says it was a tumultuous storm. And so here's what I know is that the disciples, they were so scared. They run to Jesus and actually in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, they they go to Jesus and and they say, listen, don't you care? We're going to perish. And then in verse 26 of Matthew chapter 8, Jesus says this. He says, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. Now, what's interesting about this, that's Matthew chapter 8. You get over six chapters later, we're over in Matthew chapter 14. And you remember the scene, right? Peter steps out of the boat only because he says, hey, if it's you, Lord, you bid me come. And so he steps out of the boat, right? But if you read that passage in Matthew chapter 14, what you'll see very quickly is that Peter, he looks and he sees what? The winds were boisterous. He sees a storm a-brewing, and yet this man has forgotten that Jesus, who was just asleep in the ship, who when they came panicking to him, was the same one who got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and they come. He forgot who Jesus was. Jesus said, you come. Peter steps out in faith, but along the way he begins to forget. Isn't that what happens with us? Sometimes I think we exercise little faith because it's really cool. We step out of the boat and we're like, hey, look, I'm doing big things for Jesus. And then all of a sudden, boom. The storm comes, boom, we get knocked down, boom, we have a health uh, scare, or boom, we have a financial scare, or boom, somebody else says something or does something. And what we do is we begin to pay more attention to the boisterous wind than we do the Savior of the world. Oh, listen, we could go on and on, but what I see in Scripture over and over again is that Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, they struggled time and time again Because they had little faith. And yet today in our text that Travis read, the Bible highlights the true story, I might add, of a woman with great faith. 
Now this woman's much different than the Pharisees, the scribes, or even Jesus' closest companions. Up to this point, this woman had not seen or experienced much of Jesus' ministry. You say, well, how do you know that? Because you can go back to Matthew chapter 11, and Jesus is condemning Chorazin and uh, Bethsaida, and he says, listen, he says, had I gone over to Tyre and Sidon and done the miracles that I've done in your presence, they would have repented a long time ago. That's in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 20. And then the very next thing that we see is that in verse 21, he tells them this. He says, they would have repented long ago, and not only long ago, but in sackcloth and ashes. Had I been there and done what I've done here, they would have repented. So what we know from Scripture, when we get over to Matthew chapter 15, is that at this point, he had obviously not spent time here. In fact, some have suggested that this is the only time that Jesus might have, in his public ministry, spent time in Tyre and Sidon. And so, most likely, she only knows what she's heard about Jesus. This woman only knows of the infamous Jesus at this time. And the Bible says that in yet all of Scripture, she's, she doesn't have the Old Testament promises to rely on, right? She's not a Jewish woman. She doesn't have the Old Testament promises. And so all she has is what she's heard. And yet the Bible says that she is one of only two people in all of Scripture that Jesus commends as having great faith. You say, well, hold on, brother. Uh, Barnabas, yeah, Barnabas was uh, full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith. What about Stephen? Yeah, he was full of faith and power. But Jesus only remarks about two people in Scripture about having great faith. This woman, and the other one is in Matthew chapter 8, we find the centurion. Think about it. If anyone had the opportunity to exercise great faith, it should have been actually the Jewish Pharisees. I mean, these, these are the cats who had had scripture since they were children. They would have attended regular religious worship services. Their entire lives revolved around religion. However, they had no faith. His disciples, you think about them, I've already mentioned, they actually had the front row seat to his life, his teaching and his miracles. They walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They witnessed him and his supernatural power. Yet on occasion, <laughs> yet on occasion, just like he does with us, Jesus had to rebuke them for their lack of faith and their unbelief. Yes, this woman, known only, by the way, she's only known to us as a woman of Canaan. We don't even know this woman's name, but what we do know is that she had a great faith. And the Lord has preserved her example. Look here in Matthew chapter 15. He's preserved her example in his word, not only to be celebrated, but folks, he's preserved this example so that her example can be emulated. Not just celebrated, but emulated. We ought to uh, strive to live a life of great faith. And so if you're a note taker, I want you to take this down. I, I would suggest to you that her faith was great because she took advantage of the opportunity to meet Jesus. She took advantage of the opportunity to meet with Jesus. I look around and a lot of people... Never take the opportunity to meet with Jesus. Look at verse 21 of the text. The Bible says, Then Jesus then Jesus went thence and departed in the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Here's what we need to know. is At this point, Jesus is under enormous amounts of pressure. 
the crowds. He's been around the crowds. He's been healing. He's had his healing ministry. He had his teaching ministry. And uh, 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 Herod Antipas is after him because some are saying he's John the Baptist and uh, come back to life. So they're, they're chasing him down. The Pharisees want to kill him. And so he's under enormous amounts of pressure. And what we know is that he removes himself and he heads north to this area. Now, the district... Uh, this area, this district of Tyre and Sidon, was a Gentile, terri- uh, Gentile territory of ancient Phoenicia. It sits about 35 miles north of Galilee, and then uh, Tyre does, and Sidon is about 20 to 25 miles further. Now, in this time, they probably would have traveled about 20 miles a day by foot, right? They weren't taking an Uber up to, uh, up to Tyre and Sidon. They probably would have traveled by foot. And so they get up there and Mark's gospel, uh, the gospel of Mark chapter 7 tells us that this woman in verse 26, that she's one, she's a Greek, and she's a Syrophoenician by nation. Uh-oh. We have a problem here, Houston. In other words, this woman is a Gentile descendant of the Canaanites. Uh, We'll talk about it here in a second, but you remember in Joshua chapter 7, and then also it's referenced again in Joshua chapter 20. In chapter 7, it's verse 2. In chapter 20, it's verse 17. They were told to utterly destroy the Canaanites. This woman, her very presence is like, uh, is like pouring salt on an old wound of disobedience for a Jewish person. Right, And so she's already got that going against her. Listen, as far as we know, this is where she comes out of the same coast, the Bible says. And as far as we know, this is really the only time that we see in Jesus' public ministry that he is actually in this area. But what's really cool about this woman is that she buys up the opportunity. She takes advantage of the opportunity to meet Jesus. She has a need and she makes every effort to go and to see him. Now, let me ask the question. This is a proverbial question. Why do you think she takes the opportunity to go and see Jesus? Think about it. Because she believes. She believes. She believes that he can take care of her need. Her daughter is demon-possessed, and she says, Listen, the doctors can't cure her. Medicine can't cure her. I've done everything I know to do in my own power. I am without the ability to take care of this need. And she comes to the point where she says, The only one that can meet this need is Jesus. What about us? Did we ever come to the point where we realize that the only one that can meet our need is Jesus? Listen, every day for you and I is a new opportunity to cast our care on the Lord. I said this over and over like a broken record, but I'll say it again. It's another opportunity to cast our care on the Lord. Why? Because 1 Peter 5, 7 says that He actually cares for us. Why would we cast our care on Him? Because He cares for us. And so, listen, every day is a new opportunity to cast our care on him. But i got to be honest with you guys. The only reason that we'll do that is because we believe that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. See, if you don't believe that he can take care of your need, you'll never get on your knees and pray. You'll never come to his house to worship him. Bible study will be a thing of the past. And then what happens in place of that, we start to take care of our problems 
in our own strength. And I can tell you that's not a good way to deal with your own problems, right? Every day we have the opportunities that if we're not careful, they will pass us by. I looked in the mirror this morning. It's rough. It's rough. My dad was right. My dad came up here and he sang a few years ago. Some of you were here. And you remember he got over here with this cane and he got on the steps and he's getting down and he's just sung and he says, getting old ain't for sissies. My dad was right. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is? Like when I was a kid, my dad was always wrong. <laughs> now that I'm grown up, my dad was always right. It's like, my dad's the smartest man that ever lived. No, Solomon was. No, no, my dad was, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, until, until we grow up, our dads are idiots. And then when we grow up, all of a sudden, wow, they're pretty smart. They actually know a few things. Here's what I know. Greg's opportunities are soon coming to an end. We've been reminded about that this past couple of weeks with the passing of friends and loved ones. My opportunity, my opportunity to exercise faith is slowly coming to an end. There's fewer days on this side than there were on the other side. Unless by some miracle, God just wants to punish me for a long time. Right? There's fewer days on this side than there were before, but we have opportunities to trust Christ. Listen, if you're here today and you've never taken up the opportunity, you've never taken advantage of the opportunity to trust Christ, I beg you, do not walk out this place without Jesus. I guarantee you, everybody that knows Christ would be cheering you on and telling you to get saved. Am I right? Amen. Wow, that was the best amen I've ever heard in this church. Man, we have opportunities to trust Christ. Here's another thing. We have opportunities to speak up for the Lord. We have opportunities to give to those that are in need. We have opportunities to support the Lord's work. Opportunities to encourage those who are discouraged. And everywhere I look, I see discouragement. Oh, if we would just come alongside of families and encourage one another. Oh, what would that look like if we exercised that fruit of the Spirit that Galatians tells us we have? Oh, we have opportunities to bring our own burdens to the throne of God's grace and mercy. Yes, this woman's faith was great because she did something with it. She exercised it. I want to encourage you today. Have a great faith. Buy up the opportunity. Take advantage of the opportunity to meet with Jesus. Her faith also was great because she didn't let obstacles stand in her way. How many times have we rubbed up against an obstacle and we said, well, God doesn't want me to do that. That's not, that's not biblical. That's, somebody sold you a false bill of goods. You run up against the first roadblock and you think, well, God must not want me to do that. Shut the door. No, he may be just testing your faith. Notice what the Bible says. When the woman comes crying to Jesus, notice in verse 23, but he answers her not a word. You know what the woman could have said? Well, I guess, I guess he doesn't want to talk to me. I'll just go home. Bye. He wasn't all that. They said he could do this. They said he could do this. But when I talked to him, he didn't even say a word to me. She could have had that opinion. She could have walked away. 
But she didn't let the obstacle stand in her way. Listen, verse 22 says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Think about it. She's got a few things that are going on against her. Her very presence, as I said, would have been a reminder, a salt-in-the-wound reminder to the, to the Jews of their disobedience of not destroying, utterly destroying the Canaanites. But here's another thing. If you didn't catch it, she's a woman. And at this time in history, this time, this period, women were considered second-class citizens. I'm just telling you the way it, the way it was. And so she would have had that going against her. Don't you remember when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, the disciples came back, they were all upset. Why are you talking to her? She's a sinner. I know, but I've been sent to seek and to save that which was lost. Right? And so they didn't always understand Jesus' ministry. This woman, she came from a godless society. But just like I was saying last week, when we exercise or develop our faith, that faith begins to see what others cannot see. Oh, she began to exercise her faith. For her, truly, her faith was the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Despite the difficulty she may have faced, this woman was not going to allow anything to deter her from seeing Jesus. What stops us from seeing Jesus? What stops us? What holds us back? What are the obstacles that get, us way, get in our way? You know, sadly, I think sometimes the obstacles that get in our way are man-made. Am I right? We put up roadblocks that God has no, he, he has no dealing with it. He's like, I didn't set that roadblock up. You did. He says, I say, come to me, all you who are labor, uh, uh, are burdened and heavy laden. And he says, I'll give you rest, right? He says, the way you're doing religion is not right. I want to show you a different way. Right? Sometimes we set up roadblocks of our own making. The truth is that the great faith overcomes every time. Great faith overcomes every barrier because great faith is never based on anything I can do. It's always based on what God can do. This woman's great faith was great because she knew she could do nothing. She knew she had to have Jesus' help. I want to encourage you today, no matter whether you're facing a physical, emotional, financial, mental, spiritual, or maybe it's a sinful barrier, faith finds a way to get to Jesus. If you have faith, it finds a way to get to Jesus. Her daughter was being possessed by a demon, and so her faith or belief that Jesus could meet her need compelled her to actually move into action. To see him do something. Oh, folks, that's what great faith does. Oh, great faith stops deliberating, it stops hesitating, and it begins anticipating what the Lord himself can do. See, great faith stops deliberating. It stops hesitating because that's what I do a lot of times. I hesitate. I'm like, have you ever done this? Like, you know the Lord wants you to take a step of faith, and you're like, and you got that foot in the air, you're ready to take the step. But you're like, mm, maybe not today. And then tomorrow you say, today's the day. And you get way out there and you go, nope, not today. We hesitate so many times. Stop deliberating. Stop hesitating. You've never trusted Christ. Today is the greatest opportunity you'll ever have to meet Jesus. 
You want to know why I say that? Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. <laughs> Listen, we have to exercise great faith. Number three, her faith was great because she cried out persistently and she cried out passionately for the Lord. She didn't cry out for anybody else. She cried out persistently and she cried out passionately for the Lord. Look at verse 22 and following. The Bible says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her, Not a one. A word. Test number one, by the way. Sometimes you say, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and it's like God didn't hear me. No, he heard you. But maybe he wants you to, as we said last week, be still and know that he is God. Oh, listen, and so, so look at verse 23. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, I can hear these disciples. Send her away, for she crieth after us. I don't know if it sounded like that, but it feels like that's what it was sounded like. Send her away, for she crieth after us. But here he answers his disciples. Look at verse 24. But he answered and said to his disciples, he's talking to his disciples, he says, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Folks, I want you to know, Jesus was not ignoring the woman. He's testing the validity of her faith. And he's saying to his disciples, he says, listen, yes, I am the Savior of the world, but my ministry right now as the, as the leader is to tell Jews about who I am. And so he says, he says, but I am not sent but unto that lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 25, this is a sweet verse. Then came she and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. Have you ever prayed? Lord, help me. What an awesome prayer. I was, watching, I was watching a show with Krista a week ago, and they were teaching this little kid how to pray. I remember they were teaching this little kid how to pray, and they said, you pray. And the kid's like, huh? You, want me? you pray. And, and so the instructor says, dear Lord, dear Lord, thank you, thank you, Amen. That's a wonderful prayer. Here the woman worships Jesus. And all she says, all we have recorded is, Lord, help me. Strengthen me. Help me, Lord. I have a need. My daughter is vexed with the devil. Help me, Lord. I hear your disciples. I know you didn't say a word to me. I hear those jokers want you to send me away. I'm standing here. I hear what they're saying. But Lord, I need you to help me. And before she says anything, the Bible says she worshipped him. When was the last time we worshipped God? By simply saying persistently and passionately, Lord, help me. She doesn't demand anything, but she begins to plead with him. I said this all the time. Remember, grace gives us what we don't deserve. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy withholds what we do deserve. You remember what she, the first thing she said in verse 22? She said, have mercy on me. Give me what I, I know I don't deserve it. Withhold, withhold what I deserve. Don't give me what I deserve, Lord, because my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. I need you to act. I need you to do something on her behalf. Don't, don't give me what I deserve. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, don't give me what I deserve. 
Show me your grace. Show me your goodness. Oh yes, much like the centurion of Matthew chapter 8 who said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. This woman also understood that she was not worthy of a thing. But she begins by faith to beg him just the same. Oh, how amazing is that? I put a big note here in, in my uh, message that I, I just want to communicate with every one of you that I believe that the beginning of great faith starts with great humility. Great faith begins with great humility. This woman gets down and she worships Jesus and she says, Lord, help me. Not that I deserve anything, but Lord, that you can do all things. Oh, it's been said that Jesus' silence in verse 23 was not to ignore her, but to test the tenacity of her faith. The truth be told, I've read many commentaries by it. There are a lot of thoughts out here, a lot of theological thoughts as to why Jesus ignored her. The reality is Jesus never tells us why he remained silent. But what I know is that his silence in that moment did not stop this woman from pursuing an answer from Jesus. Oh yes, I believe this woman, she just kept on getting louder and louder and louder because great faith understands that we deserve absolutely nothing but continually calls out, continually ask God to intervene and answer our prayers. Great faith will always be persistent and passionate despite the silence, despite the objections, despite the fact that we're undeserving. Oh yes, this woman of great faith had persistence that would not quit. And because of it, she passionately pursued Jesus. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 11, the Bible says, Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face continually. Oh, great faith knows that without the Lord and His strength that we can do nothing. So I ask the question in my notes, are we willing to persist and insist on getting the impossible from our Lord? Do you have an impossible situation this morning? Anybody facing something impossible on your own this morning? Let it be known. Let it be known. Don't be a, hey, you're not the only one if you're honest and say, I'm facing something that is beyond my ability this morning. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Seriously. I want everybody to look around. Look around. Do you know what we ought to be doing? We ought to be praying for everybody that's got their hand up. Here's what I know. That if you're facing something impossible, the only way that it will become possible is with Jesus. That's why we take the impossible situations of our life and we cast them at the feet of Jesus. That's why Hebrew tells, Hebrews 4 tells us that we can come to his throne of grace and mercy and find help in our time of need. The reality is we have to be honest to tell him what our need is. Amen. The final thing I see, and the people of God may say amen, is that this woman's faith was great because she was rewarded by God himself. The only one who rewards faith is God himself. Notice in the text, listen, this mother was so hungry for him to heal her daughter that in verse 27 she tells him that she would be grateful to get up some of the crumbs from her master's table like a dog. She says, I don't want much. I just want a crumb from your table. And then in verse 28, Jesus finally, finally responds to the woman. And notice what it says. In verse 28, Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. 
and her daughter was made whole from that very hour. What I want you to see in this verse is the word great is the Greek word megas. She had a mega faith. She had a huge faith. Jesus says this woman's faith is huge. He commends her for having a faith like he has never seen except for by the centurion who also is a Gentile. You see, this woman, she actually believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah when the Pharisees didn't. And then even when Jesus' own disciples doubted and had little faith, she believed that he was the Messiah. She also believed that he had the power to heal her daughter. And this woman had so little to base her faith on, but she called out on the Lord. And she kept on calling, and she kept on calling, and she persisted. The disciples said, get rid of her, and she just stayed there. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And then Jesus says what he says to the disciples. The next thing we see is she drops, and she worships him and says, Lord, help me. I'm here. I'm asking you. I believe you are who you are. I need you to help me. And then in verse 28, Jesus rewards her as one of only two people in all of Scripture, as a person of great faith. Oh, yes, folks, she pressed, she pushed, she persisted, she persevered until her need was met. Oh, because she had a great faith. I close with Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. The Bible says, but without faith. Let's just meditate on it for a second. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Who's him? Who's him? It's impossible to please our Lord without faith, right? The verse goes on. It says, it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Are we diligently seeking him by faith? You see, because great faith takes advantage of every opportunity to meet with Jesus. Great faith ignores all the obstacles that try to stand in our way. We just keep moving past the obstacles. Great faith actually cries out passionately and persistently and continues to call upon the name of the Lord. Hey, do you have a loved one that has lost and never trusted Christ and you've given up hope? What was the last time you prayed for that person? You say, well, I prayed for 20 years and nothing ever happened. Oh, ye of little faith. Jesus says, just keep on praying. Keep on praying, right? We're not to cease from praying. We're to continue to pray all the time. And then great faith also is rewarded by a great God. And so today I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Don't be the person who says, I have no faith. I want to encourage you that God loved this world so much. He loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, it's a, it's a hard message to swallow, but the Bible tells us that we're sinners. I'm a sinner, we're all sinners. And the Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that there's a payment for that sin, right? Separation from God throughout all eternity. But the Bible is so great because in Romans 5, 8, the Bible says, but God commendeth his love. In, in other words, he proved his love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that if we will call out, it says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. It's pretty simple. Let's quit making it difficult. Right? Jesus did all the work. 
All we have to do is believe that He is who He says He is and place our faith in Him, ask Him to forgive us, and ask Him, trust Him by faith to come into our life and to begin that change on the inside. So many people are trying to change the outside. Quit trying to change the outside and let God begin to change on the inside. But maybe, maybe you're here and you say, well, I've already trusted Christ. But it's been a long time since I've exercised faith. Pastor, if I'm honest, I've been walking by sight, not by faith. I've been, doing, I've been living life according to me, myself, and I instead of according to Him. God, I need to exercise some faith. And so, Pastor, would you pray for me that I would get out of my comfort zone and exercise a little more faith than I've been doing? And maybe you're here today and you say, I exercise faith all the time. Can I encourage you that you can keep growing? You can keep developing this life of faith. And so I encourage you, no matter where you are on the spectrum, this is the best opportunity that you'll ever have because I can tell you, once you exit these doors, no one will be concerned about your faith. That's why it's important that we go out and live our faith. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.